You know, it's great to be here, and it's, uh, it's great to be celebrating this season with you. And, uh, you know, I, I just find myself amazed at, at how familiar something may be, but actually what joy there is too. And uh, Mark did a great job if you were here last week, and if you weren't, please check it out on the video cast. Uh, but uh, a great job of just setting the scene for this series called Arrival. And uh, we uh, found ourselves just considering the story, but also in the light or through the lens of, you know, the whole sort of superhero Marvel comic type thing. You know, this passion that we have as a society for uh, raising up these heroes. And uh, it, isn't that interesting? It's, there is a sense, a deep sense within us that we need somebody greater than ourselves to deliver us, to rescue us, to do something like that. And I've been watching a few of these films. There was one, uh, there have been quite a few on the TV just recently. And I, I came to realize that actually most of these superheroes, bless them, are actually quite sad characters. They're in some way mutants. You know, they've been exposed to, you know, radiation or something has happened which has given them this superpower. But actually, you know, they are in some ways isolated and damaged by that. And so isn't it curious that we have this, this longing to have a superhero, but he needs to be somebody who, or she needs to be somebody who is, is somehow, you know, uh, lesser than us. Very strange. Well, I've got good news to us, to, to, for us this morning, and that's simply this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to rescue us, who arrived on earth at Christmas, is the superhero to end all superheroes. And what's more, he's not a mutant. He's not bust or broken or insecure. He is perfect in every way. Let's give him a cheer. Well, it's a little while since I've been preaching, so what I've been up to, well, Felicia and I have been uh, doing a variety of things, working with other churches and what have you, but actually, one of the things I've been doing behind the scenes, and I really want to commend it to you, to you guys out there, is, in particular, is helping out with the kids' ministry. You know, as uh, many of you know, I've got, uh, we've got four grown-up children, we've got seven grandchildren, and... Uh, you know, uh, I, I've got a bit of a soft spot for these little ones. And so I've been, you know, I've offered to help Maria and the team in, in, in uh, village, Vineyard Village. And a, a couple of weeks ago, I was in there helping out. And a little guy called Charlie came up to me. And kids can be disarmingly honest sometimes. You know what he said to me? He said to me, why have you got a big belly? <laughs> he said, have you got a baby in there? I mean, how rude. I mean, I wouldn't mind, but I, but I haven't got a belly. Oh, no, I haven't. Uh, I'd have guessed you guys would be in there. Listen, it's a great joy to be sharing God's word with you uh, today. And, and just before I do that, you know, there is something happening in our nation at the moment. So let's just, I just want to pray for this coming week, and in particular, the, obviously, the election on Thursday. Do you know what? Why don't we just all stand, uh, just to seek God's face and honor him, uh, because this, uh, every election is important, but there is something about this election that, uh, that we really do need God's grace and mercy. So I'm just going to pray. 
Heavenly Father, the word of God, your scriptures tells us that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to you, Jesus, and all authority and power is delegated from you. And we stand before you, we bring before you our nation as it uh, elects our government for the next four years on Thursday. And Lord, there are many of us that have strong passions about this. Many of us, Lord God, that uh, are going to be voting tactically even. But you know, when all is said and done, Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you would have mercy upon us, that you would not give us the government we deserve, oh, God forbid, but that you, Lord God, would give us a government that was an expression somehow of your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness. It's not one we deserve, for we are a divided people. But Lord God, in your great love and mercy, deliver us and cause us to find ourselves with a government that is an expression of your love and mercy. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you. Please sit. Thank you. Okay, so this series is called Arrival, and uh, this particular talk is called First Contact. I'll come on to that in just a moment. But, you know, one of the things about uh, the passage that I've got to begin with, we'll be moving on from that today, is, is that there is a superhero, no doubt about it, in this passage. Not Jesus, but actually his mother. And I salute you, mums. You're all superheroes here. But I also want to say, you know, here we have a 14-year-old, well, probably, possibly younger than that, 13-year-old teenager who has this extraordinary encounter and has this unbelievable call laid upon her to give birth to Emmanuel, God with us, God become man. I mean, she gets my vote as a superhero. Amen, anyone? Amen. Let's just read that story anyway. So we're looking in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, and uh, we'll read through to uh, verse 37. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. 
for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, what an extraordinary encounter, whichever way you look at it. It almost raises more questions than it answers, but just think what Mary, Mary must have been. You know, a, a, a kind of, you know, she'll be a teenage girl, just sort of like so many other teenage girls these days. And, and she was minding her own business, and then suddenly an angel appears to her. And the next thing she knows, the angel is saying to her that she is going to bear the Son of God. How can this be? How can this be? For I am, I am a virgin. And her response when the angel kind of explains how this is going to be is to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. I'm not sure how reassured she was by the answer that the angel gave her. I can almost imagine her kind of listening carefully to the angel and the angel's explaining that, you know, she's going to be impregnated by God himself and, you know, there's going to be some miraculous conception that, you know, this child is going to be, uh, you know, great and be called God himself and so on and so on. And, and, and this teenage girl, bless her, is standing there and she goes, right, Okay. But then she comes down on the side of, may it be done to me according to your will. And the angel, he has, I love this line that he says. It's actually a bit weak, I think, in the NIV. Because the angel says in verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. And the reason I say it's weak is that in the King James Version, in a number of modern versions, it says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is, immaculate conception, all in a day's work. Nothing is impossible for God. And I don't know about you, I find that reassuring. I don't want a God with limitations. I don't want a God who, you know, who unfortunately or for whatever reason can't do this, that and so. If this is going to cost you and me our lives in serving him, well then, well then, I want to know that our God is worthy of all praise and honor. Nothing is impossible with God. Two great statements that are worth taking away and uh, reflecting upon. But anyway, this talk is entitled First Contact. And you could be forgiven for thinking that this arrival of this news, the appearance of this angel, an archangel apparently, not some little cherub, but a big dude, announcing after a long silence, it says actually that for 400 years or so, there was precious little um, word from God. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel to this teenager this teenager, and you could be forgiven thinking, wow, first contact. You know, there's uh, some sci-fi movies. I watched one called Arrival just recently. I watched half of it and then got bored with it, but watched half of it. And uh, I had to turn it off, actually, because our dog was watching it, too. We have a new dog. And as soon as the aliens appeared, uh, the dog sort of went mad and started barking at the television. (laughs) And I thought, I can't hack this anymore. I kept saying to me, it's all right, it's all right, it's the postman. I don't think he believed me. 
But there's also another, another film called First Contact. And, and very often, these, you know, in, in sci-fi and in, in you know, these superpowers come and they contact us. And here we have a superpower in the form of this angel reaching out. First contact, maybe. Certainly first contact in a new and incredible chapter that's about to unfold. But first contact, really? No. No. Actually, we have to go right back to the beginning. Right back to the very beginning. The Garden of Eden, if you will, to hear the first contact. You see, the story of creation is that God creates man and then woman. The story unfolds that God gives them a work to do in this incredible uh, place and space. But he says just one thing, whatever you do, leave that tree alone. And of course, what happens, I don't know, is it human nature? I don't know. But what happens is that actually they disobey God. And with that, with that, something dies within them. You see, they had close friendship, close fellowship. You know, Fussy and I have been married many years. In fact, we, on December the 5th, celebrated, was it 47 or 48? I can't remember what it was. 47? 49. 49. Okay, I don't know what it was. It was a long time, though. Uh, I'll remember next year. But that was the celebration of our first kiss. Thank you. So even pastors kiss. And um, yeah, it was a celebration of our first kiss. Uh, why am I talking about that? <laughs> Fliss looks at me with a weary look. I have no idea. <laughs> first contact, thank you. Yeah. So... Adam and Eve, what, uh, yeah, I know what I was saying that. In, in our long marriage, if I've done something wrong, I cannot keep it from Flissy. It just makes me uncomfortable. The moment there's a rift between us, the moment we have a little spat or something like that, it's just horrible. And, and you know, I don't mess around anymore if it's my fault. I just go to Fliss and say, look, I'm sorry, la, 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 la. Because that fractured relationship is unbearable to me now. Well, imagine having a face-to-face relationship with God in a place called paradise, and you do something very foolish, and put that relationship on the line. You feel good about it? No way. And in fact, when Adam and Eve disobeyed them, they went and hid themselves with shame. They went and hid themselves. And I love the way it says in the scriptures that God came walking in the cool of the day. He was going to spend a bit of time with Adam and Eve. But instead of them running towards him like our little puppy does, full of excitement, full of tales for the day and all the rest of it, they were nowhere to be seen. They had been perfect perfect relationship up until that point. Now they were nowhere to be seen. And God called out, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? 
God was seeking them out. He found them and he clothed them. He ministered to them. But something was broke that ain't easily fixed. Where are you? That was first contact. God reaching out. And actually, when we look through the scriptures, we see that God is always reaching out. Or God is always trying to make contact. Let's just whip through the scriptures very quickly. I shan't read passages out as much as just give you the highlights. You know, the burning bush. Moses and the burning bush. Many of you know the story. You know, Moses was shepherding goats or sheep or something on the back end of the desert and suddenly he sees this burning bush that does not seem to go out. And so he goes over there and he has an encounter with God and God commissions him to go to Pharaoh, the king, the emperor, the despot of Egypt and say, let my people go. You see, I love that statement, let my people go. I love it because those people, those Hebrew slaves, for that is what they had become, serving the Egyptians, they had no mind for God. They'd forgotten God. They were full of pain and distractions and struggles. Some of you may be full of pain and distractions and troubles. It's life, isn't it? But in that place, God initiated another first contact. God reached out to them. And what he says to Moses is not go to, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let those people go. He says, go to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go. There is a distinct difference. You see, they were worshipping, no doubt, the gods of Egypt. The gods their masters commanded that they worship. They were not trained, they were not schooled, they were an ignorant people, a slave nation. And yet God remembered them just as he remembers you. And God sought them out for the purpose of rescuing and delivering them, just as he seeks you out for the purpose of rescuing and delivering you. Where are you? Where are you? Moving quickly on. The Ten Commandments, a lot of people say, well, I try and keep the Ten Commandments, and if you ask them what the Ten Commandments are, they probably can't tell you. In fact, I'd be surprised if all you could tell us what the Ten Commandments are. I'd probably be on the spot too. The Ten Commandments. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a load of law written in stone. You know what the Ten Commandments are? They are a manifesto for freedom. This is how you stay free. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. You know, you keep your relationships pure. You keep the marriage bed pure. And when so many of us have had encounters where, you know, we've been either victimized or victimized others and broken these laws. We don't feel good about it. It offers a false hope of freedom and liberty. But God gave his law that they, his people, might stay free. It was something that led them on to life, not death. The Ten Commandments, God gave that. Because he was making contact. He was reaching out. Beyond that, 
as the uh, children of Israel wandered around the desert, having escaped under the, the hand of God and the leadership of Moses into the desert and en route to the promised land, God gave them a place called the Tent of Meeting, a place where they could make contact with God, a physical place where he said he would let his, his presence dwell. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife does not like camping. Anybody here like camping? I like camping. I don't know why Flissy doesn't, but we did enough of it when the kids were little. But that the Lord God of heaven and earth should come and presence himself in the tent of meeting. And the clue is in the name. It's the tent of meeting. Something he initiates. God is reaching out. Where are you? He's trying to find and embrace his people. Where are you? Scrolling quickly on. The promised land. Finally, the people of God, these Hebrew slaves who he called out of Egypt, who he took through many adventures, caring, feeding, providing for them in the desert, brings them into the place, the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, honey the promised land. This was to be the place where they would settle, that they would know peace, that, that he would be their God, that they would be his people. And to begin with, after David, the king, had settled the borders and after Solomon had, had built the temple, more of that in just a moment, everything was wonderful. People prospered. But do you know what happened? After a while, people became ungrateful. People forgot the Lord their God. Other influences came in. Other gods that were sort of on the borders, were brought in, mainly through Solomon's diplomatic and politically astute marriages to the princesses, the daughters of other kings. Great politically, but actually they brought their worship with them, and it polluted Israel. That which was meant to be a blessing, that which was meant to be an ongoing and continual reminder of God's love and faithfulness, his grace, his goodness, ended up being a curse. And of course, ultimately, it led to their being disciplined, and discipline meant going off into exile. But there was one more step before we move on in this demonstration that God is always reaching out, always seeking to find and connect with those whom he wants to save. And that was the temple. David, King David, wanted to build a temple. But God said to him, you know, I love your heart. I love your spirit. I, I, I love the fact that you want to do that. You know what? You can gather the materials because there will be great need, but actually it's going to be your son who builds the temple, not you, David, my son. And David accepted that. So he spent the latter part of his years gathering cedar wood and, 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 and precious metals and semi-precious stones, great storehouses so that his son would want for nothing when it came to building the temple. As it happened... The vision for the temple was so great that many more 
many more raw materials had to be gathered, but the heart was there. But ultimately, this temple was bought, was built rather, and God deigned to manifest his presence in the place. And people could say, I'm going up to Jerusalem to make sacrifice to the Lord our God. That was God's, God's way of just saying, I know what you are like. I know you need tangible things. I know, I know what it is. I know what you're yearning for. I made you. I know what that's like. Here is a place that you are guaranteed to meet me. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And so ultimately, ultimately, we have this situation where God is sending prophets to remind the people of the Lord. He's providing for them. He's enriching them. He's disciplining. Which good father doesn't discipline a child? And all the time, the people's heart is to take God for granted and to, and to hide from him. This is a little parable. I hope it's not too much of a diversion. But a little parable that uh, Jesus told, which I find shocking and also informative. Jesus told this parable. It's a simple little story about a vineyard, about a master, about some people who rent it, and some servants. Let me just read this to you. In Luke 20, beginning at verse 9, he went on to tell the people this parable. That's Jesus. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. I can understand that. You see, what Jesus is alluding to there is that all through history, God has been seeking men and women. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, if I dare call it that, but I will call it that. But God has been seeking you out. And all through history, God has been going to extraordinary lengths to reach out to you. You may find that very difficult to believe. Where was God when I? What happened when this? You know, you may have been a victim, you may have been a victimizer. Well, God won't have anything to do with me. The truth of the matter is that God is still seeking his sons and his daughters. 
he still says, where are you? And this place, for many, has become a place of first contact. Not that God hasn't been reaching out, but it's become a place where people realize that God is in the midst and he's reaching out to them. You know, the truth is that 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 little baby, and I love the way Mark put it during the communion, that little baby was born in the manger, but he was destined to go to the cross. That little baby that we celebrate, that superhero that made himself so vulnerable, was, was absolutely destined to be rejected and to be beaten and to be thrown out. It was God's ultimate, he is God's ultimate solution. God has nothing left with which to convince you that he loves you and is seeking to be reunited with you. He wants to say, welcome home. It's a little thing that we love saying in this place, welcome home. And so God is today in this very spot, even as we consider something that happened 2,000 years ago, He is in this place and he's asking you the question, where are you? And to unpack that a little, that you might understand, are you coming towards God? Or are you moving away from God? The choice is yours. He doesn't make you do what he wants. The choice is yours. Are you moving towards God or are you moving away from God? You know, there may be some of you here, there may be some of you here who have had a bad year. You know, the last few years have been very tough. Has been, and we get to see that here because of our involvement in the local community and wider afield. It's been very tough just to do life. And sometimes, you know, you may be doing all right and then something out of left field just knocks you for six. And it's difficult. And you struggle to make head or tail of it. But whatever life throws at us, and Jesus said, you know, you will have trouble in this. Well, this is a troubled place now since since sin has been unleashed in it, whatever, whatever the background, God is saying, where are I? I want to reconnect. I'm going to invite the band back up now. Thank you. But I'm going to do something that I felt prompted to do, felt a little unsure about it, but... Uh, did, did this at the last service, and it seems to be on point. It seems to be what God wants to do. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to do something a little, which will require a little bravery. It's not something we do every week, once in a blue moon. But I'm going to invite you, if you have found yourself wondering where God is all in this, if you have sidestepped God's purposes for your life, if you have 
lost your way, if you feel that you are lost, if you have never had anyone present to you this invitation that actually you, you may think you're struggling to meet with God, but actually God is reaching out to you even now. You may not recognize it straight off, but that's what he's doing. You know, what Mark shared last week, what I'm sharing today, will mean that when you stand before the Lord, and we will all do that, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that you won't be able to say, nobody ever told me about this. I, I should have, you know, I don't know about, you know, Jesus. I'm telling you now that Jesus has come to rescue you. And if that ain't going to be good enough for you, there isn't anything else. So I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment just to come down the front. And I'm, all I'm going to do is pray a little prayer, a prayer, prayer with you all together. But this is going to be an opportunity to say, for you to respond. And basically you're saying, I hear you. I'm here, Lord. I lost my way. I hear you, Lord. I didn't know you were looking for me. I hear you, Lord. I'm hiding from you, Lord, because I feel shame. The stuff I've done, I don't feel good about. There can be any number of reasons why you need to come forward today and connect, reconnect with God. David, would you mind just playing a little bit, just for a moment? I'm going to sing a song as we finish off. Would you all stand, please? I say with this with deep conviction this is a holy place Jesus did not despise a stable in Bethlehem the Lord God did not despise meeting his people in a tent the Lord God did not despise searching, running towards Adam and Eve in the garden. God quite literally left heaven to seek us out. This is not a warehouse. This is a holy place. This is not St. Albans in Hertfordshire. That name will one day pass. This is a holy place. And God is saying, where are you? And if you want to say, I'm here, Lord, if you want to reconnect or connect for the first time, I just want to invite you to come down to the front. You know, I want to say, run to the front, because this is just such an important moment. Walk, shuffle, crawl, I don't care, nor does God, but make your way down here. This is a holy place. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your life story up until this point, be it victim or victimizer, 
make your way here. Do not leave this place thinking, ah, I should have gone forward. Maybe if I go to the carol service at Watsits, I can do it. This is the moment. This is that moment. Come, Holy Spirit. The Lord says to you, welcome home. I was waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. The Lord may have waited 58 years for this moment. The Lord may have waited 17 years for this moment. However old you are, whatever your age, whatever your circumstances, don't let pride hold you back. Maybe you've got a good reputation. Maybe you've got a good reputation in the church. Maybe you're known as a leader, whatever. Listen. The older brother in the story of the prodigal was rebuked because of his self-righteousness. Do not let that hold you back. Bless you, Lord God. Bless you. Does anybody else, maybe you need to turn to a neighbor and say, excuse me, can I just squeeze by? Maybe something as silly, and I say that carefully, carefully. If you're being held back by the fact that you're just hemmed in, in a, in a row, really, just turn to your neighbor and say, excuse me. Now I'm going to say a simple prayer, just like the old timers used to, a, a prayer of, of commitment to Jesus. And I'm going to do it line by line, and I just would love the whole congregation just to repeat it line by line, not just the folk at the front. So just repeat after me. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Now, Lord God, welcome me home. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I know your warm embrace. And may I leave this place in confidence, knowing that there is a place in heaven for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's just stay as we are. And Cheetah, would you mind leading us in a song? Thank you.